0: Ladies and gentlemen, a formal welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. This is Sunday, June 6th, and we are studying this incredible work of Kabbalah called Overcoming Folly. And by the way, as I mentioned in my email from last week, the book just got back in print. Like I have a copy from a number of years ago, but this book is back in print for those that wish. Hey, David. Good to see you. Hey, hey, hey. All right. So we're going to, we have so much to talk about this morning. And I wanna start with the mana. Right? They even made a song about it. Mana 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 mana. Mana. Right? Ma- okay, that's a different that's a different song. Mana. What is way too early, Rabbi? I'm so listen, it's Sunday. How else are we gonna get this week started? We gotta get started with some. I don't know. I don't know what you would even call that. Okay, so the mana from heaven. So let's let's set this and understand some context, and then I want to jump into this idea. The Jewish people, it always goes back to the Exodus, it seems, right? Like, we always start there. Okay, so they were in Egypt, slaves in Egypt, 10 plagues, we've all seen the movie, they get out, it's great, they get the Torah at Sinai, it's wonderful. But what are they eating, right? And for Jews, by the way, I will say, this is a big deal what Jews are going to eat is a big deal. In fact, it monopolizes a lot of Jewish conversations. Not saying to the exclusion of anyone else, but as a Jew who's been in a lot of conversations, a large percentage of Jewish conversations revolve somehow around food. If you think about Jewish holidays, it's all about the food. It's like Rosh Hashanah, we use what do you to say Rosh Hashanah with? Some people may be the shofar, but most people apples and honey. Yom Kippur is, oh, we can't eat. It's a fast day. Sukkot is got to eat in the hut. Right? Pizza in the hut. And then you have um, Hanukkah is latkes, and we're eating dreidels. Sorry, we're eating latkes and sufganiyot. That was a joke. And then Purim is we're eating hamantash in the ears of Haman, which if you think about it, anyway, don't think about it, or the Haman's hat or something, whatever that is. And then we go to Passover, and of course Passover is a whole deal. But what did the Jews eat when they came out of the, when they came out of Egypt? So we know that they took out of egypt unmute yourself jump in what did they what was the food that they took out with them let's go what food did they take anybody what else what food did they take out with them okay i'm gonna make it easier what food baked on their backs as they were leaving egypt all right. There you go. All right. It's always good to have a clue Sunday mornings. Okay. Yeah, the matzah. Remember they ate the matzo. Well, how long did the matzo last? Not that long. Now, you should know manashevitz. You know manashevitz. Everyone knows manashevitz. Even like, I don't know, you go into any Publix or Kroger or whatever it is, you know, in, it seems like almost anywhere you go, you'll have a token kosher Jewish section with some Manischewitz products, including probably some matzah. And one of the reasons for this, by the way, um, Rabbi Manischewitz, who was not Rabbi he it wasn't really his name, but he got like a fake, pat whatever it was, he got some other, some other person's documents. He became Manischewitz, even though his name was something else. Bottom line is, matzah took off at the turn of the 20th century. It's a a long time that matzah and boxes have have been around, or has been around, and it took off because it stayed for so long. It would last and last and last, unlike bread, which spoiled after a few days. This stuff kept on going, Energizer bunny style. Anyway, back to matzah. So the Jews had matzah for a little bit, but they physically ran out of the matzah. So then they went, they turned to Moses. Torah describes this in the book of Exodus, and they said, What are we going to eat? We need to eat, we got a lot of people, what are we gonna eat? And at that point, God sends the man, or the manna from heaven. Now, what was the manna from heaven? So, it's described in Torah in, in various intriguing ways. It was like, what was it? Like, um, it was clear like crystal, and it was like coriander seed, and you can bake it, and you can grind it, and you can cook it. And Anyway, it's a lot of conflicting descriptions, which leads our sages to note that the manna was the ultimate food. It was like the superfood. Um, It was a food that you could, even better than oat milk. Yeah, even, yes, even better than oat milk and avocado toast. You could do whatever you wanted with the mana. You could cook it, you could bake it, you could roast it, you could broil it. In fact, the Talmud says it took on whatever taste you wanted. If you wanted it to taste like whatever you imagined, that's what it tasted like. It was, quite simply, the perfect food. Which brings into question the following episode. The Torah tells us that at a certain point in time, the Jewish people turn to Moses and they say to Moses, this manna is killing us. We are just starving and parched from this journey, but more importantly or more more critically, the manna is destroying us. It's killing us. It's this evil food that is eating us from, from the inside. Now, that's what the Torah says. I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit. But essentially, that was the complaint. And the commentaries are wondering, what, what was the issue with the manna? It sounds like, quite literally, the perfect food. So what was the problem? Listen to this. Listen to this. The manna was so perfect, it was such a perfect food, that there was no waste that, 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 that was produced from the food. Are you with me on this? The manna was so perfect and so perfectly designed for the human body that it went in and nothing came out. It was perfectly designed for the human body. It was the perfect food. Now, without getting into too much detail, right, for obvious reasons, the idea here is that the, the food that you and I know, right, it produces waste, which the body gets rid of, Whereas when it came to the mana, there was nothing that wasn't perfectly attuned to the body. Think about when we talk about energy. Forget for the human, human body for a second. Think about energy and how much energy is wasted. For example, um, what's, the word, what's a good example? Um, I don't know, in different forms of energy. You have different types of energy, and, and, and in, in every form of energy, you have a certain amount percentage of that energy that's not being perfectly converted or being used, you know, and and it is is leaking. You know, we spoke a few weeks ago about energy leaks. You know, it leaks. It's it's going somewhere else where it shouldn't go as opposed to completely 100% being captured. It's like, you know, imagine if we were able to, you know, solar panels, right, which is an incredible technology. But imagine if we could capture 100% of the of the sun's energy that's shining on this earth, and convert it a hundred percent into the energy that we need to power our stuff without any degradation. I don't mean degre- de- degradation in the conventional sense. I mean without any um, any energy leaks. So a hundred percent of the energy that's 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 uh, that's shining on the earth converted a hundred percent into energy that we can use in turn to power our lives and our stuff, and and we wouldn't need. We wouldn't need any other form of energy we wouldn't need to dig we wouldn't need to mine we wouldn't need to do anything else that would be it just capturing it from the sun that's already shining on planet earth in fact i've seen studies that have shown that sunlight in 30 minutes the united states could, could power if converted 100 could power one year of energy usage in the united states of america 30 minutes to 1 hours of of daylight at any given time across the U.S. could power the whole country for one year if it was captured and converted 100% efficiently. But it's not. And we're not there yet, but please God, we'll get there. By the way, I should mention parenthetically, the Rebbe in the 1980s was very much an advocate of developing solar um, technology, solar power technology, so that there would be less reliance on other forms of energy that are, number one, harmful to the environment, perhaps, and number two, reliant on countries that otherwise we shouldn't need to rely on for energy sources. So without getting into, into detail on that, this was something the Rebbe pushed for very strongly. And it's like, you know, it, it's almost, if you want to speak in religious terms, God is giving us this, this, these incredible gifts, and it, it's right here. It's just, it's just creating the technology to leverage it and to put it out there back to our story so the mana was 100% efficient food it was the superfood but the people were freaking out for lack of a better term they were going bananas they were like what kind of food is this that you eat and that's it and it just it just disappears into the body and and there's no sign of it right there's nothing that comes out and 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 they were thinking it's killing us our stomachs are going to explode it's at some point it's going to you know it's going to blow us up what kind of food is this that you eat it and there's no and there's no waste? And the reason why, and obviously until they were calmed down at some point and told, no, this is by design, it's actually not a curse. It's not cursed food. It's the most blessed food possible. But the reason why the initial reaction is what is wrong with this stuff is quite simply because of the human perspective on unintended consequences. And that is that we know in our experience that No matter how perfect we try to design something, it's not going to be perfect, right? And when I say it's not going to be perfect, what I mean is it's on every level, right? It's not perfectly efficient. It's not perfectly, you know, um, everything that we do has, everything that has light also has shadow, right? Everything that is desired has also an undesired trait to it or negative outcome that wasn't intended but necessarily is just because of the nature of life. So, for example, for example, when you, um, and this is an example that I've used before, and it's, it's, a ver- it's, a, it's, a, it's a very benign example, but it's still an example. Let me just finish brewing some tea over here, and then I can show you the example because, spoiler alert, it deals with a teacup or a, or a mug, right? So you create a mug. Right here, I have the In-Town Jew- hmm, Is it like scratched out a little bit? Look at that. Okay. All right. Be gentle as you, as you wash it. So, In-Town Jewish Academy mug, available on our website, by the way. Anyway, In-Town Jewish Academy mug, um, the inside, right? You, you, you want a mug, right? You would think, for the inside because it holds your beverage. It holds your, the liquid that you're putting inside. But you cannot create an inside without the outside. Are you with me on that? You can't create the inside of a cup right, to hold your liquid without necessarily creating an external surface as well. So if I have, if I want to create, I do not want to turn this because then it's going to spill all over my computer and that would be awkward, but the ins- inside is, uh, you can almost see, it's tea, okay? Inside this mug, oh, there you go, Dr. Maxi, right? You got one. So inside this mug is tea, is hot tea right now. And that's why right now I have the cup. But of course, if you create an inside, necessarily there's going to be an outside. So the way things work in our life, because we live in a life where every light produces shadow, right? Light produces shadow. Inside produces outside. Intended concept, intended, um, I don't know, intended design, right? Produces... Unintended consequences. You want this, all right, great! But you know what's gonna happen? Something else that you didn't want. 100% of the time. Now, how terrible is that gonna be? It'll range. You know, I always always find it, I don't know, funny, interesting, humorous, naive, whatever, when somebody is very serious in a, a predictive model. It's like, look, if you look at the numbers, or you look at the figures, of course this is gonna happen. And I'm always thinking to myself, like, We've all been around the block a little bit, and nothing ever works like a chart. It never works like that, right? I mean, there's always something that happens that no one was expecting, and most of the time it's produced by something, something negative is most of the time produced by something that we thought at the time was positive, right? The law of unintended consequences. It's in global politics, it's in it's in, um, it's in societal issues. It's in economic, you know, in, in the economy. It's everywhere you look, there are unintended consequences in our relationships, etc. So why do we have this? It's because we live in a world that is by design not perfect. Now, it's not that God couldn't create a perfect world. Of course he could. But then there would be no fun for us to try to make it better. We wouldn't have a job. If the world was perfect, you and I would be, Spiritually unemployed. We would have nothing to do other than bask in the perfection, which essentially gives us no job. So God creates a world that is inherently flawed and that can inherently get more flawed the more people mess it up, but can also get fixed and that's our job to fix the world. This is a quick 30-second primer to the purpose of the world and existence in our lives, which is tikkun olam, to fix the world. That's it. Done. That was quick. So here's the point. Every time something exists in the world that's fixing the world, there's also at the same time something that is pushing it a little bit askew. There's also, you know, unintended consequences because we live in an imperfect world by design. So the world is not, it's it's not going to be until Mashiach comes, until that perfect ultimate time comes, it's not going to be a state where, you know, Someone does something, it's perfect, and that's it. That's the end of the story. There's always going to be something that is not 100% perfect. Now, this brings me to my story, the story of the royal feast. And if you get the emails, the Kabbalah and Coffee weekly emails, then you know a little bit about this story. If not, then let me know, and I'll get you on the email list because you should get on the email list for this class so you know what's coming up each week. So there's a, there's a king... And this parable is brought in Kabbalah and Hasidic sources. There's a king who throws a feast. Why does the king throw a feast? Because he's the king, and that's what kings do. Kings host parties, apparently. Right? I'll let you know when I'm invited to one, but that's what kings do. They host parties. Big, lavish parties. By the way, the book of Esther. You know the, the Purim story the book of Esther? Great book, by the way. Fantastic. Bestseller. Anyway, it opens up with this 180-day feast. Achashverosh whose name I cannot pronounce in English. Um, it sounds like a dinosaur, ahasueros. It's like some sort of... Anyway, so he, his feast lasted 180 days. That dude knew, knew how to throw a party. So this king throws a feast. Not him. A different king throws a feast. And he spends... Money's no object. He's the king. He's got plenty of money, plenty of, plenty of help. He's got whatever he wants. And so the king invites his most honored ministers and officers and maybe fellow kings and other noble peoples, people. And they're invited to the feast. And it's Givaldic. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. The finest cutlery and crystal and, and, and plates. Everything comes up beautiful. Gold, not gold, plated. Solid gold and crystal and all the wonderful things come out. And then the food. The food is lavish. And it's delicious, it's gourmet, there's a half a dozen chefs, and then the chefs that help the chefs, all this stuff is going on. And then the wine, wine, like nobody's business. It's an amazing feast. But you know, at the end of the day, and or evening, when the meal's over, I don't want to get any I don't want to like give too gross of an example. But I'm gonna do it anyway. Yeah, at the end of the meal, what happens? There's, you know, leftovers, garbage, whatever. And so they, they bag it up. I'm using like modern, right? You bag it up and someone takes it out. And they throw it in the back in the, you know, in the, in the dumpster. What happens sometimes in a dumpster? You have, you know, animals and critters that are going in there and gnawing at the stuff. All right, that's, that's enough to get the, to get the picture. I'll ask you a question. Did the king spend all that money and throw the party for the whatever it is that's going after the garbage bags over there? Is that why he spent the money? Yeah? Yes or no? Kind of obvious question number one of the day, right? No, of course not. That's not why he spent the money. That wasn't the intention. That's not what he wants. That's not what he likes. Is it going to happen? Of course it's going to happen. Because a meal produces garbage, waste, which then at some point, other things are going to end up eating it. Whether it's in the dumpster in the back or when that bag is taken and put in the, whatever it is, in the city dump, right? Whatever, At some point, something's going to get to it, and that's not what the king had in mind, correct? Yes? Yes. So Kabbalah says, here's the way it works. God directs energy into this world. God throws a party. And the party consists of life and energy and vitality and blessings. Yeah? R and chayus. Light and energy from above. Directed by God into this world. God is throwing a feast and giving tremendous blessings. So we have two choices. We can either be the invited guests, or the uninvited. We'll just leave it as that. The uninvited. Sounds like a movie. The uninvited. Coming Friday the 13th. Yeah, we could either be invited guests, sit at the royal table, with a place-setting And a nap, you know, like, um, it's not even a napkin. It's like a cloth thing that you tuck in, whatever, right? Like the whole get up with, you know, somebody serving you. Or you and I can choose to get the food the other way. But why would you? If you have a place at the table. They tell a story. I know we're in story within a story territory, which I don't mind. They tell a story about a young boy whose parents buy him a train ticket. Let's make this about a yeshiva in Eastern Europe. Why not? Let's, let's, let, we'll give, we'll build this out a little bit. Young boy, 12 years old. His parents, he grow, grows up in a shtetl in a small town. There's a little cheder, a little Jewish school, but they don't have a real yeshiva because it's too small of a town. But when the kids get a little bit older, the parents send them off into the big city to the yeshiva. And so it was that this young boy, turned 12, came of age, and his parents say to him, it's time for you to go to the big city to the yeshiva. So they buy him a train ticket. And now he's being sent on a train by himself for the first time. And his parents give him the ticket. They take him to the station. Or maybe he has to make his own way to the station, whatever it is. And there he finds himself on the train. And there he sees a group of boys his age, young boys his age, that are running. He decides to, you know, make some friends and run with them. And before long, they're running between the cars, and they're hiding, and maybe they're jumping behind the cars, you know, while it's moving, you know, between the cars. And he's um, he's asking them what's going on, and they're basically they're basically hiding from the um, who goes around the conductor. Conductors go around, or someone else who goes around to check the tickets on a train. It's been a while. No one else, And your conductor goes around.
1: The conductor.
0: There you go, the conductor. The conductor or the orchestra the symphony was last night. Now the conductor is doing the train thing. All right. So the conductor is now going through the cars and these kids are all hiding because, you know, they don't have tickets. And they're hiding like in the, you know, there's different classes on the train. They're hiding in like the kind of, you know, where they can the, the the lowest class in the back behind the car under the seats whatever it is they're hiding. The conductor makes his way through and ultimately finds these boys and asks for their tickets. The boys don't have the other boys don't have tickets and he basically sends them off the train at the next stop. But our, our hero of the story he asks to see his ticket and he produces a ticket. And the conductor laughs. He says, "Why are you here? Why are you hiding?" Why are you in like third, fourth, fifth class? You know, under a seat, you have a first class ticket. This parable is brought in in, in Hasidic texts and mystical texts to bring out a very important lesson in life. You and I have first class tickets. You and I have tickets to the best. Ready to go. But what do we do instead of that? Instead, we're dumpster diving, sometimes, right? Instead of sitting at the table with our, I know we got different metaphors here, instead of sitting and enjoying first class, instead of sitting at the table of the royal feast, instead of all that, what are we doing sometimes? We're dumpster diving, and we're hiding under the seats in third class, right? Maybe we can sneak by without anybody noticing. But why? You have a first-class ticket. Might as well enjoy it. What does it mean spiritually? So, as I said before, God is sending energy and life and blessings, infinite blessings into this world. Because God is infinite, so God's potential for blessings is also infinite. It's not like God ran out of resources, It's like, whoops, sorry, don't have enough to go around. We're dealing with God, right? Jeff Bezos wouldn't run out of resources anytime soon, yes, correct? Would you you agree with me? Yes, God's even more wealthy than Jeff Bezos. I know it's hard to imagine, even more, even more than him and Musk combined. I know it's crazy what I'm saying, but trust me. So what is it? It's that you sit at the table, you sit in first class, and you get what you need. You show up in the right way, and you get what you need. What happens is, number one, no one told us we had a ticket. And so we thought, because the world said, if you want to get stuff, you have to go like that to get it. Right? You got to go around, and you got to hide, and you got to cheat, and you got to steal, and you got to lie. Like, the world said that's how you get stuff. Like the kid on the train for the first time, the other kids tell him, you want to ride on the train? Come with us. And so we thought, that's the way you ride a train. That's the way life goes. And then Kabbalah says, one second, one second. Why are you a stowaway? Why why are you hiding? You have a first class ticket. You have the ticket to whatever you want. Why are you going about this journey called life in such, in such a, essentially, a backward way when you can do it like a king at the royal feast? So Kabbalah teaches, and we're going to get to it later on in our text, not today, but at some point soon, the notion of where material blessings come from. Everything comes from God. And our job is to make a vessel to contain the blessings because you can't, if God pours the blessing, it's just, you know, going to go everywhere if there's no container. Our job is to contain the vessel, to, is to create a vessel to contain the blessing. And then we get it in a straightforward fashion. If the vessel is pure, if the vessel is intact, you know, if it can't be. It's got to be a holy vessel but not that type of holy right It can't have a crack in it so it's got to be an intact vessel and then it can receive and it holds the blessings but instead of that sometimes a person says why should i create a vessel in a proper way with integrity and spiritual devotion and you know and you know putting on my, so to speak, putting on my suit and dressing up and doing, the pro, doing what I need to do and sitting at the table and enjoying the meal, instead of that, I have another way to access the food. It's right there in the dumpster. Does that make sense? Right? Instead of doing what, what I'm meant to do, I'm going to go that way. doesn't make sense. But unfortunately in life, sometimes we do this. Right? Because the world told us that we're not worthy. The world said that everything is an accident, a cosmic accident, so no, no you don't deserve anything, so might as well, you know, um, fight for, for the scraps and fight someone else for the scraps. Because if you don't fight, you're not going to get. If you don't lie, cheat, and steal, then you're going to go poor, the world says, right? If you don't crush someone else, how are you going to be successful? If you don't squash others on the way up, how are you going to climb the corporate ladder? That's, the, that's what the world says. The world says, whether it says it explicitly or implicitly, the world says, if you want to ride the train, you got it. this is how you have to do it. And Judaism tells us, no, you have a first class ticket to ride. Judaism tells us you have a seat at the table of the royal banquet. But with every light, there's a shadow. And if someone chooses, yeah, they could ride the train in the back. And they could get the food that way you could and you know what maybe there's more thrill in that maybe there's more thrill maybe there's more danger if that's what you're going for there's more danger yes you feel maybe more alive but that's no life that's no life it's no life it's not a long-term life it's not really living So this is what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about intended light and unintended light. Intended blessings and unintended blessings. We'll talk about those things, those blessings that come from the source into spaces that are the intended destinations. And we'll talk about how sometimes... The light and energy can go to unintended places. Inherent to this conversation is the realization that you and I have the ability to sit down at the table at the feast, at the royal banquet, and you and I also have the ability to take it in a different way. But number one, it's not nice. It's not nice for us. And number two, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. So what's the moral of the story? What are we ultimately getting to? Embrace first class. <laughs> Embrace your ticket. Embrace your seat at the table. Embrace the trust and faith that God has in you and have that for yourself. Embrace your mission in life. Embrace the fact that you have divine purpose, that you're being here is not accidental, that you can do something and must do something that no one in history has ever been able to do, nor will anyone ever be able to do. Embrace your uniqueness, your value, your worth. Live up to God's belief in you, and then the blessings will flow in an organic fashion, in a natural fashion, right? From source to recipient. Is there another way to get energy in life? Sure, but why bother? All right, let's jump into the text. Let's jump into the text. Um, We have a really fantastic, hold on one second. Perfect. Okay, I'm ready to go over here. Any questions or comments thus far? Alright, anyway, so one thing before we get into the text, so just making sure I I came full circle over here. So getting back to the mana story, so again, there's mana from heaven, and the people are complaining about what's happening, there's no waste. They didn't realize it's perfectly attuned to their bodies. Why? Because typically people think, you and I believe, that if something is good, it's going to have a negative byproduct, because that is the way of the world. And even when it comes with divine energy, there is the intended, and then there is the byproduct of that, which is also accessible, but is not, is not the intended, intended space for energy to be found. Okay, I'm gonna share my screen, and we are about to jump in to our text. We're gonna begin, we are going to begin Discourse number seven, page 112 of our book, Chapter 1. So this, this, um, this book is divided into different discourses, which is then subdivided into different chapters. So this is Discourse 7, chapter number 1. And here, as you see in the, in the header, the exploration is about the difference between that which is called face in Kabbalah versus hinder part or back. So face versus back, which, spoiler alert, face is that which is the intended, and the back is the unintended. Here we go. Idolaters, and that's just, you know, no one specifically in mind, that's just referring to anyone who is on the other side of holiness. Receive all their nurture from the hinder part of holiness. In other words, that which represents the antithesis of God does exist, but the existence is and the sustenance is from... From the back, so to speak, of holiness. Whereas Israel received theirs, their nurture, from the inner divine will. We're going to elaborate on this in a moment. Let's just finish the paragraph. The sinner who caused the withdrawal of God's will from himself receives his nurture in the manner that the animals do, and he acquires his portion first from what he elicited into the domain of the sitra achra. But this nurture will eventually be terminated. Again, what we're talking about here is exactly what I mentioned before, but he's putting a little bit more, he's concretizing it a drop more. Idolaters, which is the first word of this chapter, is a reference to anything that is unholy. So how does unholiness receive energy from above? If the premise is that God designates where the energy is going to flow, then why would idolaters and that whole negative realm ever receive energy from above? And the answer is because in addition to the light coming down in a straightforward fashion, there is also the unintended consequence, if you will, of the light, which is that the light also leaks into those other areas. There's other ways to access the meal. You can sit at the table or you can access it in some other fashion. Right? You can ride the train with a ticket in first class, or you can You know, hold on to the, you know, climb on and hold on to the top of the train or the back or hide under a seat or or in a stowaway compartment. There's different ways to do this. So the point is that God created the world for a certain purpose. And the purpose is to be a home for Him, to be a home for God. God created the world to be a space where He is comfortable. He didn't create it like that. He created for it to be that, for us to make it into that. Because if He made it Himself, It's a self-made home, which he already has in heaven. God wants us to take this world and fix it and make it nice and make it beautiful and make it conducive to God. So that's what God wants. So when we do that, when we're part of the mission, great, it comes down The light and energy resources essentially come down in a straightforward fashion. When we're not on board, so then there's also an element of energy and life vitality. It's not like a person disappears, you know, poofs out of existence immediately. But the nurture, the the energy is coming from the side, coming from the back, coming not, not directly, but indirectly. And he says the same thing is true with the person who is misdirecting their own energy. And that's what he says, somebody who's causing the withdrawal of God's will From himself. God has a certain mission. A certain vision for us. So when we pull away from that. We're taking our soul. Our personal divine energy. Which is our soul. Our spiritual battery pack. And moving it into. A negative place. An unintended place. So at that point. We get the nurture. In the same way that other creatures do. And animals here is very specific. And it's the the example, why I gave the example before about the dumpster. Again, animals, you and I could think of animals, the ones that we have as pets, or we could think of animals in the context of rodents, etc. And I'm not going to get more specific than that, right? So just like an animal might eat of the royal feast by jumping into the garbage dump. When we misdirect energy, the energy is going into a dark place. So yeah, it's the same energy, but it's going now into a dark place and we can get from there. But do we really want that? <laughs> is that really what we're looking for? Is that really what's, what life is? And yeah, the person who, who, who directs the energy there acquires the, 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 the portion first with what is elicited into the domain of the sitra of the other side. Sitra literally means the other side, the unholy side. But this nurture will eventually be terminated. That is the reality of life. The reality is that it's not not a sustainable situation. On the train, at some point, the stowaways will be found and kicked off the train, and it's just not a sustainable um, process. So this is the opening paragraph where he states kind of the idea. And the idea is that there's a way to get the light in a straightforward fashion. There's a way to sit at the table and eat of the royal feast like a mensch. And then there's a way to get it from all sorts of other ways that are not not so nice. He elaborates on this in in the next several paragraphs. He says, this will be understood through our discussion, which we discussed in Discourse 2, chapter 2, so a little bit ago, our discussion of the face and the hinder part of the divine will. So, And this is something that I've been allu- alluding to today and even speaking to today, but he breaks it down here. So there are two elements of divine will. There's what we call the face of divine will, and then the hinder part of divine will. So face, so what, what's the distinction? He describes face describes the inner will and true desire that he, that God wishes, meaning everything of the realm of holiness. So face is a euphemism. Face is a phrase that connotes that which is wanted, that which is desired, that which is loved, that which is valued. Face means what you want. In the context of God, it's what God wants. But the sitra akhra, the sitra akhra, the other side, the dark side, receives only from the hinder part. What is the hinder part? We know it faces, faces the realm that God wants. What is the hinder part? Meaning that he does not desire it. But on the contrary, it is the abomination to God that he despises and grants its nurture reluctantly like one who casts over his shoulder. So, hinder part indicates that which is not desired directly, but that which is the realm of the reluctant. I don't want it, but I have to have it. Or, not I have to have it, but it's going to happen whether I like it or not. For example, the cup, the example that I've used many times before, I want the inside of the cup to hold my, my, my the beverage inside, but reluctantly, there's an outside. Light produces shadow. A royal feast reluctantly produces mounds and mounds and bags and bags of garbage, right? That's the way it works. That which you want Always comes along with that which you don't want. Why? Because that's the nature of the world that God created. Could God have created a world of perfection? Sure. You want to jump up? Could God have created a world of perfection where there's only perfect, there's only perfection? Absolutely. Guys, say hi to Reeves. Reeves, say hi. There you go. Could God have created a perfect, Hey, could God have created a perfect world? Could God have created a world in which there's no waste? There's no garbage? There's no unintended? There's no other side? Of course. But I'm not God. That's not that's not what God created. What God did create was a realm in which there is light and shadow, in which there's a feast and garbage, in which there's the face and the hinder part. That's the way it works. In the world that we live in. in, the world that we live in, there are unintended consequences. Now, it's hard to say with regard to God that it's un- completely unintended, right? Because that would make it sound like it's an accident. It's not an accident, but it's still unintended. And 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 one way to explain this, just very simply, and this is always probably the easiest way to explain it, is by understanding the nature of free choice, right? So if God wants us to to freely choose Him, right, in this cosmic relationship between us and Him. If God wants us to choose, there has to be another choice. If there's only two parties, there's not much of a choice. But once you have another option, now it's a choice. Now God says, all right, so do you choose me or do you choose... Right, it's the morning. Do we choose to spend 10 minutes in meditation and prayer to God or 10 minutes worshiping Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. That's our choice. We have free choice, right? By the way, I'm not knocking these things. They could be wonderful in their own way. But it's a choice that we have now, right? Because the world has all this plurality, because there's so many other things that we can do, whether they're good or neutral or, God forbid, evil, there's so much choice. So now us choosing God is significant and meaningful. In order for any choice to be meaningful, you have to have an opposing possibility. So God reluctantly, so to speak, has the shadow realm, creates a shadow realm, not because he wants us to engage in it, but because he wants us to engage with him, having chosen him from the other undesirable choice. So it has to look desirable also, but ultimately from God's perspective be undesirable and hopefully from our our perspective also be undesirable. That's what we mean when when we talk about God's face versus the hinder part. There's what God wants and then there's what God doesn't want but almost needs in order to get what he wants. Does that make sense? So it's like you have to create the opposite, the negative, the dark, in order for there to be meaningful light and positivity and goodness and relationship with God, etc. So you have to have, again, somebody said, you have to, God couldn't figure out another way. Trust me, I'm with you on that question. Yes, God could create a different paradigm where choice of one without anything else is also meaningful because it's a completely different type of reality in which Uniform choice and singularity is somehow meaningful. Sure, try to bend our minds around that. Could it be possible? Yeah, I can't put anything past God, right? Sure, but based on the rules of this reality that he created, the way it works is, if you want to have any meaningful choice, there has to be a, a possible other option. Otherwise, there's no meaning in the choice. It was forced, it wasn't a choice. And any forced relationship is simply not a relationship. And this is a fundamental idea in in Kabbalah. If a relationship is forced, it ceases to be a relationship. I don't know what else you, you call, I don't know what the right word is, but it's not a relationship. A relationship implies by its very definition that each party is choosing freely the other. And what is free choice? Free choice is implied by the presence of another choice, of another option. I could have chosen something or someone else, but I didn't. I chose you, that makes it meaningful. Adam and Eve, there wasn't much variety. There wasn't wasn't much other choice. It's interesting, because at a wedding, at a Jewish wedding, there's something, something called the Sheva Brachot, the seven blessings. And one of the seven blessings is that may God bless the couple with joy, like the joy experienced by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the commentaries discuss, well, what kind of joy, what are we referring to? That's like very vague. Like the couple, the newlyweds should experience the joy like Adam and Eve in paradise. Which part of that? So there's a, one way to understand it is, just like Adam and Eve had certainty that the other one was the one, right? Because there wasn't anyone else. So it's like, Adam's thinking to himself, Eve or, yeah, no, Eve. It's, that's, I mean, that's literally it, right? Eve, she's the one. And Eve is like, Adam or, I mean, there was, Adam, So just like they had certainty, and with that certainty, there was a clarity. And with that clarity, there's a certain buoyancy, a, a freedom to just be, right? So just like, so we wish the couple should also have the clarity and the certainty and, you know, no complications should be. Now, life is more complicated than that, but that's at least the wish. Well, I mean, why not, you know, strive for the ultimate? That's at least the wish that we wish the couple under the chuppah, the, the, uh, the wedding canopy. But the way it works with God is that was, <laughs> that was very temporary in the Garden of Eden. But subsequent in human history, there are choices. There are many choices. Last time I counted, 8 billion plus choices. There are a lot of choices, which makes a person choosing someone else significant. It means I chose you. I value you out of all these other people. And conversely, that person says to you, I value you out of all these other people. It's a nice thing. So choice is significant. Here's In case it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, one second. The clarity was strong with Adam and Eve, but the value of choice wasn't. They were lacking the element, the significance of choice. I'm not knocking their relationship. I'm just saying that there's a certain benefit. And you know what? It's the same theme of today. You ha- everything has an advantage and disadvantage. The advantage of only having one other person on earth is clarity. You know who the one is. But you know the disadvantage? Did you really choose? Is it really you? Right? Where are you in that relationship? Were you coerced? Right? By whom? By God. <laughs> who else am I supposed to be with? I guess this is the one. Where, where do I get to express my own choice? Not so much. Again, unintended consequences. Any I want to use a different language, language of Kabbalah. Every Mila has a khassarn. Every advantage comes with an inherent disadvantage. It's not just that anything good will also be, you know, will also have something negative somewhere along the line. It's everything good by definition that has a flip side that's not so good. Right? So so the clarity of Adam and Eve is great, but the inherent flaw is that there's no choice. And the choice that we have today, which is wonderful, the inherent flaw is the lack of clarity. Right? Because you could always ask, how do I know? What if they're not the one? What if I only think they're the one? What if I wake up tomorrow and realize they're not the one? Right? And, and, that, that, and that's something that's a real consideration. And where does that come from? That comes from the choice. So the way it works in life is we always have one side and the other side, and it's not extrinsic, it's really intrinsic. Intrinsic to light is shadow. Intrinsic to inside is outside. Intrinsic to desired is the opposite. But let's get back to God for a second. So God creates the world. Yeah, Yaakov, go. Jump in.
1: Um, that flip side, um, that's, that's very interesting to, to try to figure out what it ex- exactly is because it seems like there's there's really, maybe with the Torah, there's solid truth, um, but there seems to be a exact opposite truth for every truth.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: <clears throat> so it, it seems like it's not only the dark side, but it's a confusing side because... Um, you know, what What exactly is that?
0: Yeah, that's that's life being real. That's God creating a world that's not so simple. That's not, it can't be reduced to like, yeah, obviously this is the right way to go. This this is what I need to do. It's much, life is much more complicated uh, than that by design so that we work for it and that our choices are meaningful. There's significance in our action and we have a day job. Otherwise, we would literally have, if, if spirituality for us was as simple as Adam saying, oh, hey, there's Eve. I guess we're meant to be together. If that was as simple, oh, God, sure. What other option is there? Sure, there's God. If it was so easy, it would lack significance. It would gain clarity. It would, might feel really good at, for some point, but it wouldn't have that it wouldn't have the magic of discovery, and effort, and achievement, and accomplishment. You know, there's a reason why people do crossword puzzles. Imagine if the New York Times published a crossword puzzle with everything filled in. Oh, oh, you want to know the words, here they are. You're, you're looking for the words, here you go, here you go. And you're like, no, I wanted to figure it out. But why, I mean, don't you want to get to the solution? Here, here you go. You want, if you want the solution it's literally here. You know when you're flying on a plane and you open up the inflight magazine, right? And somebody's done it before you and the, and the and the, the the plane crew didn't switch it out cuz like who's looking on page, you know, 88 on each, you know, thing on in each inflight magazine cuz right? And you're like, "Ah. Oh. No one ever said, "Oh, cool. All the words. I was looking for words. All the words are filled in. Fantastic. We don't want solutions. We want the thrill of the activity. As human beings, that's what we love. Could there have been another reality that God created where the pleasure would come in basking in the results that were already done for us? Sure. I guess we'll call that heaven and angels. They're not creating anything. They're basking in a set paradise that's already made for them. And that works for angels. But then God kept on pushing the envelope and created us in a world where life is not so easy, in which to solve the cross, even as simple as the crossword puzzle, it requires some effort. But you know what? There's a thrill in that. It's enjoyable. Which one of my kids, Sudoku. Did you start Sudoku the, with the numbers? Yeah. Ellie Solish? Yeah, but it was Shalem's. It was Shalem's? Yeah. All right. Anyway, right? There's, there's fun in finding, discovering the numbers. David.
1: Yeah, I, that's a great metaphor. Uh, but what, what is the part of us... Maybe not with crossword puzzles, but part of us with life that does want to skip ahead to the end, even at the cost of losing, you know, the juice of life. There is a part in all of us.
0: Yes, yes, there is. There's there's a, is. a part of us that the, the the angel in us, or the the um, the paradise, the the Garden of Eden part of us that was like, oh, it was so much easier when it was all done for us, when it was all clear and all easy and all done and all fixed and all finished and all wrapped up in a bow. I don't want to do any work. Just make it easy. There is a 100%. a 100%. I don't even... Yes, but I wouldn't... But that has a bit of a negative connotation. I don't even think that it's ultimately stemming from... Yes, it can manifest in an unhealthy way, but I believe that at its core... There's a, a piece of it is, you know, it, it's almost, I know I'm interrupting my sentence. It, it says in Kabbalah that the soul is conflicted. And we've discussed this many times, right? The soul, every soul is conflicted because on the one hand, it appreciates the work that it needs to do down here. On the other hand, all it would love to do is just go back up. And so that second element of just, it just says, it, it on some level, it just doesn't want to be here anymore. It just wants to go back and just be dissolved back into source. It doesn't even want to be a separate entity. It just wants to be part of the all. That part of it is the part of us that seeks the, no, the lack of drama. And it's like what the author Writes in Tanya about a bainani, right? That a, there's a tzaddik and the bainani. The tzaddik is someone who's perfect inside and out. Never wants to think, do, or say the wrong thing. Oh, and then there's the banani who's like the whole day is thinking all these you know negative thoughts. And I mean, I don't want to over-dramatize it. We're all the banani, right? Thinking all sorts of things and saying or wanting to say all sorts of things, doing all sorts of things. And and the job of the banani is to kind of, you know, is to like really control oneself and and, you know, grab onto whatever one can grab onto and say, you know what, even though I want to say that, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not going to. I'm gonna. You know. I'm gonna put forth all my energy to hold myself back from thinking, saying, or doing what I know I shouldn't be thinking, saying, or doing. And the Alter Rebbe, at some point, point in Tanya asked the question. So the Bainani might say to themselves, "So this is it. I'm never gonna get perfect. So then, why am I wasting my time every day? I should have the battle." And it's, this is, I forget what chapter it is. It's like the biggest paradigm shift. You were not created to be perfect. You were created not for perfection, but for the process. You were created for the struggle. And no one wants to hear that. Because who wants to hear that, that the destination, yeah, I guess the ultimate destination after the soul leaves the body is perfection. But in this lifetime, the goal is not perfection. And I know it goes against everything Instagram will tell you. And everything that everyone wants to tell you. This book, this thing, this, this course will tell you the perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about the struggle. It's about the work. It's about, that's what it's about. It's about the struggle day in, day out. It's not the perfection. It's the struggle. And that realization changes everything. Because then we start appreciating the struggle. Right, it's kind of like a treadmill. Somebody could walk in and see somebody on a treadmill and say, "Where are you going?" <laughs> I'm not going anywhere per se. <laughs> I don't have a specific destination in mind. It's this process that makes me stronger. It's this struggle with choices that ultimately makes us stronger or you know, go the other way also, right? I mean, because you know, we're not perfect. And it does sometimes go the other way. But it's, there's a strong element within us to your question that would rather not be on the treadmill, would rather just see the answers. But at the same time, there's a part of us that knows that were that to happen, it would be a very sad day. There would be a lot of inner mourning, a lot of sadness without the struggle. A perfect, what, yeah. What
1: part of the mana story is that part that, that says. You know,
0: Here you have the reverse almost. It's like the people were getting perfect food and they're like, where's the struggle? Where is the light and shadow? I'm only seeing light. And it's getting, it's freaking me out. It's, it's, it's disturbing because it's too perfect. Where's the catch? It's almost like waiting for the other shoe to drop. So, you know, when the other shoe drops, all right, even if I don't like it, it's there. It's like Dr. Torsky, just, uh, he passed away recently. Dr. T- Abraham Torsky, um, Hasidic rabbi and psychiatrist, and he started the Gateway Rehabilitation Institute uh, Center in Pittsburgh. Um, Uh, uh, alcohol and drug rehab just a tremendous individual Um, uh, wrote dozens and dozens of books Um, I had the privilege of he was I grew up with him as one of the rabbis in my synagogue in Pittsburgh just a tremendous privilege and heard so many stories from him Um, and why do I tell this why do I say this oh man did I forget what I was saying what was I saying Um, somebody somebody reset my brain for a second what was I saying right before that who remembers? You
1: were talking about the mana and, and why it was the opposite
0: of the mana. The opposite? Um,
1: how it, how they, it freaked them out, they were bored.
0: It freaked them out, they, yes, they were bored. It was too, oh, the other shoe dropped, yes, shoes dropping. He said, imagine a New York City apartment building, yeah, and, and you know, paper thin walls and ceilings and everything, you could hear everything fellow is lying down, trying to fall asleep. It's 1 a.m., having trouble sleeping. He hears the, the upstairs neighbor. He could tell by the walk. Come into the apartment building. Apartment, apartment door opens up. It slams closed. <laughs> 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 up the stairs. Yeah, if you've ever lived in a new York, I mean, I've, I've been there before. So the guy's climbing up. Hits the the floor, goes up the next flight of stairs to the floor above. Here's the keys jingling. Here's the lock opening. The guy upstairs, the door opening, the door slamming, the guy locking the door. He hears the bathroom sink run. He just, he hears all the noises. He's just waiting for the guy to go to sleep. He's just waiting until it's quiet so that he can try to fall asleep. And it's such a slow process. And he hears every detail the guy getting into pajamas all this stuff or whatever and then here's the guy the, sitting on his bed the creak of the mattress and he hears the sound of one shoe Being tossed and hitting the floor and all he's waiting is for the second shoe to hit the floor and then It's gonna be quiet He's waiting. He's waiting and he's waiting and he can't fall asleep until he hears that second shoe the floor and he's going out of his mind he puts on a robe runs upstairs bangs on the guy's door will you please drop your other shoe the guy says i'm so sorry i realized i was making too much noise so i put it down gently right so like we're waiting as long as we're waiting on edge for the other shoe to drop quite literally right we 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 can't The, the 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 jews in the desert They were so used, and we are, we're so used to light and shadow. We're so used to, yes, this is holy, but there's also unholiness. This person has qualities, yeah, but those qualities themselves come at a cost. Someone who's super loving, yeah, they can be taken advantage of. Someone who, right, and and, and vice versa. So like every, we know in in this world, in this life, everything good has has the opposite. It's got to have a flip side. And so a food that's perfect, we're like, No. Come on. Come on. Show me the other side because I can't fall asleep. Drop the other shoe. I need to see the other side. And so they were freaking out. So this was really the reverse issue. Right? The reverse issue was that it was too good. This was like the one time in history where it was well, maybe second time where it was perfect but living in such an imperfect shadow filled world that Drove them bananas until you know they, they embraced it at some point, and then that was that. And 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 then the mana stopped and regular life resumed where food is food and it has waste, it has nutrients, but it has stuff that the body doesn't need, etc. And that's the way, that's the way it shakes down in the world. So this is loosely, right? This these are all what we're associating with these two dimensions. What we call in Kabbalah face and hinder part. And hinder, I wish it was a more elegant way of, uh, more, you know, I don't don't know if it's a great translation, but there's the face and I'll just say, let's say face and back. There's face and back. Face represents what you want. Back represents maybe what you need. Well, not what you need because you really need it, but what you need in order to get what you want. In this case, in the case of God, it's All of the darker elements of reality, all of the negative and even evil possibilities that exist, that people could act on because they're possible, that exist only because that makes goodness significant. That makes righteousness significant. That makes light significant when you have the shadow. I mean, I know it's a cliche already that we wouldn't appreciate light if there was no darkness. I get it, and it's a cliche, but because it's because we've heard it so often, it could it, it might not trigger an awareness that it needs to trigger in our minds. Like if the world was really all perfect and all good, which is ultimately what we're looking for and and growing toward with with the messianic era with Mashiach. But and that and we'll have to figure out where the the drama comes in in that type of reality. But in, in our context, if that were the case, right, where would the struggle be? What, what would that look like? What would we be doing? Where is the achievement? Where is the accomplishment? So again, vis-a-vis the Messianic era, there we, there's a discussion about that. But the way our reality is designed is that goodness and blessing and achievement comes precisely through navigating All of the other stuff that's along the way. So, does God want the other stuff? Kind of. Sort of. Not directly, but indirectly. Not because He really wants us to choose it, but because He wants us, He wants it to be a viable option for us to reject and make our choice of goodness meaningful. Right? It's like, I don't know if I, if I can give any other examples that would be, you know, more telling than, than what we've said until now. Yaakov.
1: Um, so, we're told it's not how—it's not if you win or lose, but it's how you play the game. And yet, um, don't we really want to win and uh, yeah. achieve our uh, purpose, fulfill our purpose
0: by succeeding in our particular areas of brilliance. Yeah. And, yeah. So do we, is, it, is it just reprogramming ourselves to
1: not look at the big picture, but just be in the uh, in how we play the game and, and, and how we, you know, maybe go through the front door versus the back door and just... Yeah. You know, just not keep
0: I, I think, th- yes, I, I agree with what you're saying. But I would say also one, yes, 100% and 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 this is hard for us to sometimes wrap our heads around like just just be aware of the moment and 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 appreciate the struggle and appreciate the challenge and just just be because so much of life is for m- many of us for maybe all of us is spent somewhere else than right here we're like well what if this was like that and what if we were there and what and we, we're living, we're spending time and energy and focus somewhere else as opposed to right here. But getting back to what you said about, about winning versus how you play the game, you know, think about video games. You know, there's a whole genre of cheat codes or whatever it is where you can, like, you know, win a video game through these cheats. The question is, if you're able to, you know, in a video, in a very complex video game, if you're able to press one button and the game is over, you won. And your character is at the end, woo we won. Does that feel good? Now, you know, if the cheat code was, was the product of a lot of searching online and, and, and trying to figure out exactly how to put in the cheat code, then you might, you might have the thrill of, of, of hacking the system. But if it's just as simple as, you know, hitting one button, and it's like an obvious button in the game, it's like you can either play the game or, or hit this button and the game is over. I mean, who would do that? Because it's not really about winning. Even winning is not about winning. Even winning is about the process of achieving. I, I, I think. In other words, it's not only about process versus winning. It, it's winning versus winning. There's two ways to win. One way to win is the easy way. And another way is through the product of effort and hard work and perseverance. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about persevering through the challenge. And, and, that, and that almost necessitates that there be a challenge that we persevere through. Because that's what, that's what makes it meaningful. And so God creates the shadow. God creates the dark side. God cre- Whatever you want to call it. God creates the opposite to make the holy meaningful. Okay, so this is, hopefully this explains, um, I think we did maybe, I'm just pull it off for myself. Yeah, we did two paragraphs. So hopefully this explains this this idea of phase versus hinder part. Now, so, so let me just, just connect all the dots here. So, and, and back to our train analogy in the, in the Royal Banquet. So you and I, we can make the right choice. When I say right choice, it sounds very judgy, but we can make the holy choice. We can Do what we're supposed to do and plug into where we're supposed to plug into. Or we can choose what God didn't really want, but only wanted or needed because of what he did want and jump in that area. And then it's like, oh, you chose that? Are you sure? I mean, God's like, I have to. I mean, it's a valid option because I needed it to be. But, um, really? Really? You went that way, you could have totally gone this way. And I wanted you to go this way. And if you go this way, you'll you'll get all the blessings. Fresh. That way, yeah, there's it's valid, but that's that's dumpster diving. That's like not where you're supposed to be. You sure? Are you really sure is that really what you want But the veneer is shiny. The veneer looks good. It's like dumpster diner. It's not dumpster diving. It's like it's like Oh, it's like a new oh, it's like a new genre. It just seems cool. It seems you know edgy. It seems hip, but it's at the end of the day, it's it's the hinder. It's like it's not where we're supposed to be, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the duality of plugging into source in a straightforward fashion versus going to where the shadow is, which also has energy, but it's like an unenergy energy. It's like Shadow energy. And yeah, we can plug into that space and you know derive energy from that space for a certain amount of time, but it's not a sustainable operation. It's not, like, it's not a long-term gig. It's not where we're supposed to be. And ultimately, it's not healthy for us on any level, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, or physically. It's not healthy. It's not healthy to, to be in that space of, of, of that other side. Now, again, I just want to be very clear here. None of us are tzaddikim. I mean, if, unless you are, and then I, I apologize. But none of us are tzaddikim, which means we're not going to be perfect. So perfection is not, the, is not the goal. The goal is to try our best, and more often than not, plug in. This This discourse that we're studying is not intended to wag a finger at us and say, ooh, you better not. It's to give us, honestly, it's to give us meditations that we can tell ourselves when we find ourselves justifying dumpster diving. When we find ourselves justifying negative choices, this, this text hopefully will provide some inner dialogue to say, well, wait a second, hold on. Yeah, I could do that, and it looks attractive, but I know what it really is. I know that it's not where I'm supposed to be, and I know what that, what that means is that it constitutes the opposite, the hinder part of God's will, and it's not the energy where it's supposed to be flowing. It's the energy where it kind of, you know, the, the, the side energy and, I, and I, I, don't want, I don't want that for myself. I'd rather use my ticket for first class than, than hide and duck in the back of the train. All right, back inside. Let's, um, let me share my screen and let's, let's hit the third paragraph over here. Oh, look at this. I could have written this. No, I'm kidding. I took this analogy from this. By the way, I changed some features to make it more understandable for us in modern times. Because of our, because we have pets, And that would, I think, would have skewed the example. That's why I used um, other types of creatures. An analogy will help us understand. And uh, this is a classic mystical analogy. So it's it's really powerful. A king made a royal feast. Sounds familiar? It should. (coughs) Hopefully. A king made a royal feast for all his ministers and attendants. Lavishing a fortune from the royal treasuries. That means he spent a lot of money from the royal coffers on this meal. His intention (coughs) is surely not the squandering of wealth. The king is not looking to burn money, but that his favored ministers and officers enjoy the bounty of the king. He wants everyone to, not everyone, he wants those that he wants to enjoy with him, to celebrate with him. (coughs) Others too, he says, will enjoy the royal feast. Humble scullery maids and servants will feast on the leftovers of the ministers, and bones will be thrown for the dogs. The king's intentions, however, did not include the scraps. He did not intend to spend a penny for the, delect, for the delectation, if that's a word, of the servants and dogs. I'm sure it is. When he gladly spends huge sums for a purpose close to his heart, <coughs> the feast of his ministers with his inner will there can also be beneficence of an external order. Take a look. Take a look. When he spends, when he spends for what he wants, when he spends money to achieve his inner will, there can then also be beneficence of an external order. And not only can there be, not only can there be, but automatically there will be. Necessarily there will be. When you invest light In light, there's always, in this world, the shadow. When there's an investment for the ministers and for your honored guests, there's also the scraps as well. This is what we mean. By nurture that comes from the external, it means it's incidentally cast over the shoulder. So this this paragraph is essentially where I derived the opening of today's class from just this, this, this parable right here, this analogy of the king. And I, I modified it a little bit to make it more, ex- I, made it, I think I made it more extreme. Um, here he's going a little bit more benign. It's not like, he's not talking about uh, rodents, right? He's talking about, you know, servants and, and, and other, other staff. But honestly, the king in this example is not spending, you know, all that money to feed the servants and And you know I, i'm not I'm not necessarily comfortable in that example because it's a different time, different era, different different type of you know power structure with kings and whatever. I don't want to judge the analogy, but I really want to make sure that the analogy and the point comes through. the the point of this analogy is that you can spend and you can invest somewhere. And meanwhile, it ends up that it's going somewhere else. The investment is paying off. It, 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 the, the resources are going somewhere else. and it's unintended. The example that I gave, of course, was where at the end of the meal the scraps go to the garbage, and in the garbage you have all sorts of creatures that come out and, and eat at it. And certainly the king was not intending for that, but that's where it goes. That's part of that's part of the, that's part of the reality. And so you have the same thing here where at, when God is creating light in this world, there has to be shadow. Why does there have to be? Can't force God into anything. Don't worry, I'm not trying to twist God's arm, I'm just saying that the way things exist with a desire for choice, desire for for multiple choices, so you have an investment in this place, but you also have an investment. A begrudging over the shoulder, from the back um, uh, um, um, beneficence, but there is some sort of giving of energy to that realm as well. Okay, so that concludes chapter 1. Let's continue with chapter 2. Because here we get into the parallel. Okay, so here we go. The parallel on high can be understood. The inwardness of the divine will radiates to Israel alone. Now, I know he's mentioning Israel, but this, of course, refers to any of God's creatures that are fulfilling what God wants. Whether it's a Jew and the 613 commandments or whether it's anybody in the world with the seven Noahide laws. Anyone who's on who's on Team God and, and and making the world a better place, this would fit into this. So the inwardness of the divine will radiates to Israel alone as it is written, may God let his countenance shine upon you, stressing upon you. This is affected, again for the Jew, through eliciting the divine will that illuminates only through Torah and Mitzvot. Fundamentally, the wisdom of Torah flows from the inwardness of the divine will. All this is fancy language to say that. Torah constitutes what God wants. Torah and Mitzvah constitute what God wants. For ultimately, the nature of Torah is the wisdom of how to elicit the essence of the blessed infinite light, the encompassing light, which is the divine will, from a state of concealment to revelation in the created worlds. So let's explain, because honestly, this paragraph really could use a session for itself. But I want to start this, and then next week we're going to pick it up with, with this idea. So, but let's begin this, 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 uh, this explanation. I mentioned before that why does God create the world? God wants a home on earth. And what does that mean, actually? It means that God wants a space that is conducive to his reality. God wants that on earth. But God doesn't create it like that. Because then there would be no work on our side. So God says, I'm putting you in a dark world. Make it shine. And what does it mean to make it shine? It means to reveal the truth of what's underlying the world and the energy that's here. In other words, reveal the truth that ain't od melvado. There's nothing else besides for God. But along the way, we encounter all sorts of other messages. We encounter all sorts of other shadows, all sorts of other things. Torah and mitzvot stand and declare, no, this world is God's. This world is holy. This world is divine. This world is precious. Every mitzvah, Every good deed is a declaration of there is a higher authority. Like those Hebrew National Hot Dog um, ads, right? We answer to a higher authority. So every mitzvah is God. Every mitzvah, think about a relationship. I think that's a good good analogy, a good parable. So a relationship, right? Every act of affirmation of the other is an act of affirming the love for, for the other. Right, so every time we do something for the other, what it says is, I choose you. Right, every, every, every flower or fl- a bouquet that we buy for the other, every meal that we cook for the other, every sweet note that we send to the other, every nice kind word that we say to the other, whether it's a romantic relationship or any other relationship that we have in our lives, Everything that we do or say or project toward the other that is kind, nice, sweet, loving, whatever, affirms the choice of that person in that relationship. I choose you. I value you. I love you. I appreciate you. I respect you. So every action affirms that. That's what a mitzvah is. Every mitzvah is an act of affirmation of our relationship with God. Every mitzvah says, God... I choose you. God, I want you. God, I value you. God, I respect you. I revere you. I appreciate you. Etc. 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 Every mitzvah is that decoration. And by the way, every mitzvah says, I choose you over all that other stuff that I could have done. Right? Could have done all that other stuff, but you know what? Right now, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you. So yeah, the world told me that if I want, I could do this and that and the other to, to get ahead or to get what I want. But you know what? You told me not to. So I'm gonna choose your way. I'm gonna choose you. I'm gonna you know, do business ethically. I'm gonna be a mensch. I'm gonna treat someone else kindly with respect. Even when the world says, oh, that person, or a society says that person, you don't have to treat with respect. But God, you told me that everyone is creating the divine image. I'm still going to treat that person with respect. That's a mitzvah, right? It's one of the biggest mitzvahs, to treat another person with respect and dignity and honor and love. Love your fellows yourself, which is a very general mitzvah that includes lots of different specific mitzvot. So when we treat someone else like that, even though a particular society might say, oh, that person, pff, you don't have to worry about them. When we do so, We're choosing God and the other person, yes, but we're also choosing God because God told me to value the other person. So I could have gone a different way, but I went this way. So every mitzvah is an affirmation of God, of that relationship, of God's truth, of God's reality, of God's role in my life, of of how dear God is to me. That's what every mitzvah is. Every mitzvah is a declaration. Yes, God is real to me and we are in a relationship. As the kids would say back in the day, we're going steady. <laughs> I'm with God. I'm taken. I'm with God. Yeah, we're not going to be perfect. That's that it's, tzaddik is it's perfect. It's going to be complicated with us. But every mitzvah we do is that affirmation. Every mitzvah is saying yes. I choose God, and that is really important. That's really important because the reality is that we could very easily choose the opposite. It's very easy. And it's very tempting sometimes to choose the opposite. You know what, God, I love you, but you know, I got all this other stuff that's really calling my attention. It's really getting me excited. So you know what, I'm checking out for a bit. See you later, maybe, right? Catch you on the flip side. We, and, and, and that's a real temptation, right? Obviously I'm speaking in super broad and general terms, but it's a real temptation, it's a real reality. It's, re, it's a real challenge. That's the challenge of life. Where we're going with this, and it's going to be so beautiful. I don't want to say too much because I want to really focus on it next week. He's going to talk about the significance of positive mitzvot and negative mitzvot. The difference between a mitzvah that tells us to do something versus a mitzvah that is don't do something. And he's going to liken it to relationship. Where there are things that we do to build a relationship and declare one's love or respect or choice of the other. And then there are things that we should avoid doing because the avoidance, because doing those things would necessarily be pulling us away from this relationship into a different space, into a different domain. And we we're trying to avoid pulling ourselves or choosing a different space that is, frankly, a distraction, if not worse. All right, so in conclusion, because we're right at the time, and I, I, we, have, we have a ton to get to next week, and we'll get to it, but in conclusion, to try to bring the the themes together. Today we spoke about unintended consequences, which as we discovered today are actually intended. God intended for the unintended, because that's the structure of this world that we live in. The world is not perfect by design. It was perfectly designed to be imperfect. That's not a mistake, it's not a flaw, it's a feature. The feature of this world is where there's light, there's shadow. Where there's inside, there's outside. Where there's front, there's back. You cannot have a front without a back. It's not not possible. Anything that has a front automatically has a back. Any space of holiness will have an opposing force of unholiness. Not because God couldn't have made it otherwise. He could have. But simply because God made it this way. And you and I can look at it and say, you know what? There's value in that. There's meaning in that. I actually can find something beautiful in that. And what is it? It makes my choice meaningful. It makes my choice valuable. It makes me choosing God significant, and that's meaningful. So like we choose someone else, out of eight billion people perhaps, or like we choose whatever we love, activity, hobby, whatever, a book, out of so many other options, and that makes it ours, Choosing God makes God ours, not selfishly, but deeply. It makes our spiritual accomplishments real and significant. And that's why it's worth having all that shadow just to have real meaningful light. And so the message of today's class is, don't ride in third class under the seat. You have a first class ticket to ride. You got everything. You, got, you have a seat at the royal banquet. You don't need to run running with wolves. You don't need to run with the, you don't need to run with the rodents. That's not, it's not your thing. You're at the table. You got the invitation. You got the evite, right? Or the paperless post, whatever the kids are using today, right? You got, you got the invitation. You're ready to go. You're at the table. We don't need to climb into shadow and find scraps of light there that are only there because of some sort of, you know, backwards type of logic. Well, we need this, so for that we need this also, so there's also some light here, and then we can siphon off. Why do that if we can just go to where the light is? Let's be like moths. Never thought I'd say that, did you? There's a great podcast called The Moth. Anybody know about The Moth? Storytelling? It's so wonderful. It's amazing. It's, a, it's an organization dedicated to sto- people telling their own stories. It, you hear the most incredible stories. No notes. You can't have notes when you come up there on stage. No notes. Unscripted. It's called The Moth. They have a podcast. It's people sharing their stories. It's, it, you hear your stories across the board. It's amazing. Anyway, let's be like the moths. The moth, A moth always gravitates to light. When there's a choice between shadow and light, the moth says, you call that a choice? Are you kidding me? I want the light. Let's be like the moth. When we have a choice in life between light and shadow, let us choose light. And when we choose light, our lives will be blessed with the most intense light, intense blessing, Blessings that far outshine the, the energy, the life force in the realm of the shadow. So this week, let us embrace light. Let us live the light life. And la, la, life, light, in a good way. Not like light as in less than, but the light life. And with this, may God bless us in everything that we want and everything that we need. Thank you for joining me today for Kabbalah and Coffee. And it, uh, it's great to see you. Ah, let's see. Yaakov is asking, is it possible to be distracted from Hashem by Elohim? Sure, sure. Hashem, the name Hashem is the light. Elohim is the concealment. That's, that's kind of what we're talking about today. Elohim is what creates the tzimtzum, the shadow, the darkness, which creates the structure of the world that we know. Yeah, it's possibly distracted. I, 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 we have to be careful that we're not pitting God's names against each other. But the concepts would be, the concept would, would be accurate, yes. It's,
1: the na- nature, also the nature and the mantra is the same word, um, Yes, it's, it's distracting to me, and it's confusing because it seems like there is perfection in nature, and it seems like most of what we have to do tikkun olam about is um, from what people introduced to this world, which is problems, um, and it seems like there was perfection. You know, maybe not that spiritual connection. I understand that you know, spiritual connection versus the physical connection, but there is a spiritual connection in nature as well.
0: Yeah, I would agree one hundred percent. and I would say one one thing to to add on, oh, Haley, is that um, is that when we think about human beings messing things up, you are correct. we have we have the ability to fix, but we also have the ability to further delay, let's just say it nicely the tikkun, um, or further magnify what needs to be fixed <laughs> by making more of a mess. So that is definitely a possibility. That's 100% our our ability to do. Um, but at the same time, we know Kabbalah teaches, and this is one of the more daring teachings of Kabbalah. We have to be careful, and it's. Well, I don't really have time not to develop it, so I'll just drop it. So, you know, just drop it in uh, a hit and run type thing. Type thing. Kabbalah does teach that the sin of Adam and Eve, which threw the world from perfection into a state of flaw, was by design. Because that world of perfection in this model that God intended is not sustainable, right? Because that world is not as meaningful as this world that we have now. It's not as significant, at least for us. So there's something about about us choosing it. There's something about us, you know, it coming from within that makes it the, all the more meaningful and, and, and beautiful. So, all right. Yeah. All right. Good. Great to see everybody. Joy and Yaakov and Luann and Donna. Good to see you. And Sandrine and Toba and Adam and Linda and Allison and Mariana. It's great to see you all. Shavuotov, Tov. Have a wonderful week. Remember, let's plug into the light. shavuot Tov. Let's plug into the light and make the world a bright place. Um, Stay tuned for announcements. Next week, Sunday, is a very special day. It's the 3rd of Tamos. It's the Rebbe's yard site, 27th yard site. We're going to be having Kabbalah and coffee and learning um, in, in, in the honor of this of, of a special day. So we're on next week for Kabbalah and coffee. And to, uh, next Sunday night, so again, next week in the evening at 7 p.m., we're having an in-person event, really special event, with Rabbi Moshe Kesselman, who is... Leah's brother, my brother-in-law, from Los Angeles. He's a spiritual leader of a congregation over there, an incredible speaker, and he's going to be inspiring us with words and reflections about the Rebbe's life and legacy that is next Sunday night, June 13th, at 7... Sorry, it's starting at 6... 6.30, yes, 6.30 p.m. Yes, 6.30 p.m. with a reception. We have a wine and dessert reception and a, and then the program starts at 7. We have some brand new, uh, a beautiful video that we're going to play for the first time. Just really, it's really going to be an incredible program. And followed by a Fabrengen for those that wish to stay late into the night. We even have an optional Fabrengen afterwards as well. All right. Um, Thank you all for being here. Thank you all for being part of it. And I should mention right now, thank you, Dr. Maxi, for helping sponsor next week's event, and it's very meaningful. And uh, thank you, thank you. So, and it's open. It's open. No cost to the community. We're doing it live and in person. Stay tuned for streaming option. I'm working on making that happen. All right. Um, have a wonderful day. Shavuot tov. Take care, everybody. Tov. Take care. <laughs> Bye. <coughs>